Will you please pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we give thanks for your spirit that saturates our world and fills our life. And we pray that through that spirit, we may hear your word for us today. Amen. John 1, 43 to 51. The next day, Jesus wanted to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, Jesus, Joseph's son from Nazareth. Nathanael responded, can anything from Nazareth be good? Philip said, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here is a genuine Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are God's son. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. I assure you that you will see heaven and God's angels going up to heaven and down to earth on the human one. This is the word of the Lord. In our Monday staff meeting, I asked the church staff what I should preach on this week. Because tomorrow is MLK Day where we renew our spiritual commitment to fight racism and inequality in all its forms. And this year, that commitment feels more important than ever. I mean, a president is being impeached for inciting a racially-fueled extremist attack on the nation's capital. That's a wild sentence to say out loud. So it feels like this work is so vital and so hard because we seem to share almost no common ground with many folks we hope to reach. So I asked the staff for help because uh, I glanced at our lectionary passage about Jesus recruiting disciples. And I just didn't think there's going to be a, a lot to work with there. But this is where I have to confess that I hadn't read our passage very carefully because when I did, I found the story of Jesus strategically helping someone overcome their prejudice. I found a ton of wisdom for those of us who seek peace in tense times. So let's jump right into the story of the disciple named Nathaniel. Nathaniel is invited to follow Jesus of Nazareth. And his response is, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathaniel is so shaped by his prejudice about people from over there that, that he presumes like no one from Nazareth is worth listening to. There appears to be no starting point, no way forward, which reminds me of what it feels like to have a conversation with someone who feels like they can't trust anything I say since I'm a liberal who 
gets his news from an untrustworthy source like NPR. So how does Jesus reach Nathanael? Well, he doesn't. Jesus does not ask Nathanael to be a disciple. Philip does. And Philip is a Galilean, like Nathanael, someone who knows, he knows and trusts. So Nathanael listens to Philip. And this is our sort of our first lesson from Jesus, that the best place to challenge someone's prejudices from within a relationship. Changing someone's mind is, is almost impossible if they don't trust us, if they don't know us. So perhaps we should start with our friends and family rather than, say, arguing with strangers on the internet. I don't know. But that brings us to our second lesson, because apparently I'm enumerating these lessons. Anyways, uh, the second lesson is I'll call it, don't swing for the fences. When we see examples of extreme prejudice, it's often our instinct to try to approach or convert the group that seems to be doing the most harm. But this is usually the least effective strategy. Community organizers who work to challenge prejudice use a theory of how society adapts to new ideas called diffusion of innovation. Basically, it teaches that it's very difficult for a group that likes change to influence a group that resists change. However, a group that likes change can influence people who are open to change. And that group can influence another group that's slightly resistant to change. So this theory teaches that if you're on like the more progressive side of a progressive movement, then your time is best spent, it's most effective to begin with those who are already somewhat open. And I, I see this in the story uh, with Jesus. Jesus doesn't begin with the person who's openly prejudicial towards him. Jesus invites Philip, who then invites Nathaniel. And, and Nathaniel's a perfect person for Philip to invite because according to Jesus, Nathaniel is a man without deceit. And that feels weird for a guy who's like openly discriminatory. But Nathaniel's honest about his prejudicial beliefs. He, he just names them. He doesn't think, well, I can't be racist. I have black friends. No, he, he's honest with himself and with his friend, which enables Philip to invite him to examine his belief, to ask him to, well, come and see if what you believe is true. And that brings us to our, our third lesson here. Maybe I'll call this show, don't tell. When Nathaniel reveals his prejudice, Philip does not tell Nathaniel all the reasons he's wrong. He doesn't preach at him. He doesn't talk down to him. He doesn't even really rebuke him. Instead, Philip invites Nathaniel to come and see if what he believes is true. Philip invites him to know this man from Nazareth, 
and see if things change. And this approach is pretty counterintuitive because anger is an appropriate response to injustice. And I don't know about y'all, but when I hear prejudicial attitudes, I feel that anger. And the last thing I want to do is be vulnerable with that person. Yet, I'm, I'm awestruck by how Jesus and Martin Luther King are, are filled with righteous anger at the discrimination they face and still choose a way of, of nonviolence and, and vulnerability. Because it is an incredibly vulnerable act to offer oneself to be truly known by someone who discriminates you, against you rather. And here's where we have to be so careful because like Jesus, Saint Oscar Romero, Martin Luther King, these are my heroes, some of the most influential people for me as I understand my faith. So the first thing I wanna do is share their message. But I need to remember that as a straight white cis guy, I have no idea what I'm actually suggesting. I know what this path asks of me, but that's fundamentally different than what's asked of Jesus or black, indigenous, and people of color in America today. So even as I, I share the wisdom of how Jesus confronts Nathaniel's prejudice with personal vulnerability, I also need to say that, that this approach can never be demanded of another. When vulnerability is demanded or coerced, that's abusive. So we need to be super careful when we talk about this, especially white folks. But the delicacy and care we take should not diminish the wisdom of what Jesus and Philip are doing, how they welcome Nathaniel. Because rather than telling him he's wrong, they show him what is right and true. Rather than making Nathaniel feel small and defensive, they treat him like a human who's worth knowing and worth being known by. They welcome him into a community that's been constructed to dismantle the prejudice of everyone who enters. Because because even though I I mean I've sort of made Philip sound like the woke guy, because he sort of is in this story, even though that all the disciples had work to do. I mean, when we look at the disciples, it's it's a group of like four or five fishermen one or two tax collectors, a couple of zealots, a noble elite, then a few others we aren't sure about. (laughs) So to just put that in like a a contemporary American context, that'd be like a bunch of guys doing manual labor, a couple of corrupt government contractors who got rich by using tax breaks to convict poor old or evict poor old ladies, 
a few radical protesters who keep getting arrested for chaining themselves to government buildings and a guy who just graduated from Yale and is now living off a trust fund. I mean, the only thing these men had in common was an inherent distrust of one another. Rich guys and revolutionaries, manual laborers and cultural elites, this was a group of natural enemies, a group that should have been at each other's throats and sometimes were. This was a group that needed to undergo grace and healing and transformation to overcome the prejudices that bound them. Just, just like all of us, they needed to know and be known by the people who seem so impossibly different. And I'll be honest here, I actually, I kind of started out this sermon with like seven lessons Jesus teaches us about confronting prejudice. And then I started writing and I only made it through about three, you know, three good ones to, to work from within relationship, to not swing for the fences, but focus our energy on folks who show some openness and, and to show who we really are rather than telling someone who they should be. And those, those lessons, I, those were helpful to me and they're important. But the gospel of Jesus is much more than quick life lessons. The gospel of Jesus calls us to live a life of love offered to all people. Today, we remember Martin Luther King because he forced us to see that, that Jesus' way of love demands a spiritual commitment to fight prejudice and racism and inequality in all its forms. This was and is the work of Jesus, not just in this story, but in his very being, in his life, in his relationships with his closest friends. Jesus sought to dismantle the prejudices that held them captive. And this is the gospel for us today. Amen.